Uh, the story of Ruth took a, quite a twist last week in our study. We've been doing a teaching series on the book of Ruth, uh, Go Into the Unknown. And last week, Naomi, her spirit and attitude took a really drastic change. This was the woman that was caught up in bitterness and anger toward God, really was even turning her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to go back to her false gods and not follow Yahweh. And all of a sudden, now her attention is changing. Ruth has had Boaz come into her life, and, and things are beginning to look a little bit more positive. We found in our text last week that Naomi is praising God for his work and his deliverance and what he is doing. And so she, her focus has changed from being on internal to now outward to be of a help and a blessing to somebody else. And so this is what's going to take place here in our text today. Warren Wearsby said it this way. He says, it's when we serve others that we ourselves receive the greatest joy and satisfaction. You know what that looks like. It's using your gifts and your abilities to help other people. While you think it's going to be a huge blessing to them, it ends up being a blessing to you. You know what that means. You know, see, well, our spiritual gifts, God wants us to use them in order to glorify God and to be a blessing to others. And it's quite an incredible thing that happens when in the middle of serving God, something enormous happens on our behalf and blesses our spirit. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he wrote, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He continued by saying, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So this spirit and attitude that Naomi is exhibiting is one that we should be living all the time. Quit being so internally focused and let's look at others. Let's look at their needs. Let's look at how we can be a blessing to them. And so Naomi does this. The story of Ruth is progressing quite nicely here. It's really important to keep in mind that this marriage story throughout the book of Ruth is, is not just simply about a foreigner, Ruth, coming from Moab, the enemy of God, and coming to this well-respected Jewish man. That's not what the story is all about. But actually, it is giving us this incredible picture that we see of this relationship found in Jesus Christ, this relationship that is found in Jesus Christ when an individual claims Jesus as their Lord and Savior, giving their life completely to him as he is our Redeemer. And so all through the book of Ruth, that is the picture that we are seeing. So we're going to find here that we're going to pick up with Ruth chapter number three, verse number one with our text today. Verse one, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? And now is Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he went with barley in the night, tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. Make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, this is how Ruth responds, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came in softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. 
It came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter and the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Hmm. The love story continues here in Ruth chapter 3 with a message I've entitled, It's Complicated. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we dig into the story of Ruth, it's been quite an adventure of learning the important truths of the scriptures that apply to our life today. And so as we look at some very symbolic customs today and we see some reactions of these characters, there's some really important lessons that we can learn and implement into our life. I thank you for a wonderful, just a heartfelt time of worship today toward you, a, pl- a time of stirring of our hearts and drawing our attention to you. And so it has been well prepared today. Please remove any distractions that would take us away from the message that we want so desperately to hear from above. So guide us in our time together in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had somebody say that to you when you've asked them, so what was the conversation like, or, or what's the problem, or what's going on, and somebody says, ah, it's complicated. And you're like, no, really, I want to hear, and you're like, nah, it's complicated. That means they don't want to tell you, really, and uh, it, it happens all the time. The story of Ruth is about to show us some very incredible customs of the day that seem as we would read through them, a little complicated in our Western civilization to grab a hold of and completely understand. But as we study and read this text, it's really not that complicated. Now, what we find here is that this midnight marriage proposal that is going to take place from Ruth to Boaz is really the peak of a lot of this story that we've been studying all through this book. And when we come to this, this midnight proposal, we can really pass through it very quickly without understanding what the truths are that really can even apply to us. Now, how many of you in here today thinking of us midnight proposal, how many of you enjoy reading or hearing about marriage proposals? Anybody like that? Okay, a few of you, a bunch of ladies. Okay, good. So they all like to hear it and they all like to wish that that had happened to them. Okay, so um, here's some some of the thoughts I got from research this week. Um, there's a website out there that gives helpful hints of how to propose to marriage, okay? So number one, how to propose to marriage. Number one, don't propose to your girlfriend in front of her parents, okay? That was a, a good one. I wish I would have heard a long time ago, okay? So no, that didn't happen for us. All right, so don't propose to your girlfriend in front of her parents. Number two, don't put the ring in anything that she can eat, okay? That's a pretty good point. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you had the ring in the cupcake or anybody had it in something to eat, Okay. How many of you have ever been engaged before? Would you please raise your hand? Let me know that. Okay. Five of you have been engaged before. Okay. I'm not sure about this crowd. The article continued by warning, the last thing you want to do is have to propose to her while she is being wheeled into surgery. Okay. Good, helpful tips. Number three, don't propose marriage two days after meeting her. Okay. These are all very good points that some of you may need to take note of. And some of you are like, I don't see anything wrong with any of those because that's exactly how it happened for me. Here's a fun proposal that I found. One guy was so shy, he didn't quite know what to say 
when the moment came. Okay, guys, help me here. How many of you were sweating bullets? You were nervous when you were getting ready to make that proposal? Would you just raise your hand? How many of you were nervous? Okay, so you remember being nervous and intense when that moment came. He got so tongue-tied after he pulled out the ring box, he just froze. So here's how he responded. He tossed the box to his girlfriend and began to run away in the opposite direction. (laughs) She caught the box, realized what was inside, and had to chase him down to say yes. Now that's cold feet right there. Here's a crazy proposal. Here's another young man who pretended to have died. Oh, boy. He had planned the entire visitation at the funeral home with his buddies who worked there. So he was all laid out in his best suit. True story. His girlfriend stood by the casket sobbing when he suddenly sat up (laughs) and asked her to marry him. After she finally stopped screaming, she slapped him and then said yes. They both needed serious counseling after that. Man, what would he have done if she didn't come to his visitation? Well, marriage proposals are a lot of fun to read, and they're fun to listen to the stories. But one of the most intriguing marriage proposals happened in the Old Testament text here in Ruth. And it's a really cool story. On this occasion, we see the girl Ruth... She did the proposing, and this would have been the reason because she was a widow. Now, the unmarried women would not have done the marriage proposal. All of that was coordinated and organized by the parents. But this, in case of Jewish custom, would have been as a widow. She was to find her nearest kinsman. That would be her redeemer that would take her into marriage. When she would find them, she was to approach them. Now, notice in our text that Ruth does this at midnight. She does it in the quietness of the night so as not to put Boaz on the scene in front of people because knowing that he was not the next in line. There was going to be somebody. We'll come later in our study to that. But Ruth was going to now, as a widow, be responsible to approach the kinsman to be the redeemer, to be the one who would marry her. This was done so to provide for her financially as well as to continue on the family name. So if, uh, if a widow would find the Redeemer to marry her, they would get married. And then if they were to have kids, the name, the family name would pass on to the father that had passed away with that father's name. So this is why we would find that Ruth is proposing to Boaz in our text, in our story. So people knew that these two were just madly in love because they were always together. Uh, They had stopped counting the lunches in the harvest fields that Ruth and Boaz would share together. Uh, Boaz's employees were probably wondering no more why he was spending so much time at this particular field, more than he had ever done before. They were realizing that there was some connection here with Ruth and Boaz, but there was a complication. There was a complication in this story, and uh, we find that in chapter number 3, the harvest season is over. Now, now look back at 2.23. So she, Ruth, kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest. So it had been about seven more months. And dwelt with her mother-in-law. So then when we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, we would see that this now, the season is over. Boaz and Ruth are no longer hanging out every day in the harvest fields. 
No more lunches together, wondering if they'll even see each other again, if their paths will cross again. So Ruth settles back into home with her mother-in-law, and Naomi is not about to let the grass grow up on the feet, under the feet of these two. She's going to make something happen. And that's where we pick up in our text. This part of the story of Ruth is that Naomi gives of herself, pushes Ruth forward, and we learn some cute, uh, crucial lessons of all three of these cast members. So the lessons that we learn is first from Naomi, and it's her tremendous commitment. In verses 1 through 5, something so incredibly different has happened to Naomi, and we're thankful that her spirit has changed, her attention has been drawn back to God. It's been quite a famine in her own spiritual life, because she has wandered away from God. She has followed her husband, who is now a dead man, but had left Jerusalem and had gone to Moab to follow the ways of success. And we would find that there was going to be a lot of heartache then. But now Naomi's life is changing and her commitment is going to be one that helps with the the process of preparation for Ruth to interact with her Redeemer. When we see in this text that Naomi is is kind of giving Ruth a crash course of the customs of that day. Now remember, Ruth is a, a Moabite. So she doesn't understand anything of this preparation. She just knows, based on what Naomi has taught her, that is, there is a kinsman here in town. And there is a near kinsman that you can marry and, and start a family and start your life again. So Naomi's commitment is to help to push this to Ruth's future in order to secure a husband after becoming a widow. Now, her strategy is that she's going to put her attention to the details, And ultimately, it's her faith that is going to aid Ruth to connect with her Redeemer. Do you see that in verse number three? There's some things she instructs her to wash herself, which would have been quite a sacrifice in the Eastern world at this time. The the heat uh, and then the dryness, so the dustiness um, of the land would have caused frequent washings, but the water was scarce. And uh, Jerusalem had just come through, Israel had just come through a time of famine. And so there's a lot of adjustments that are being made, but water was certainly not plenteous in the east at this point. But she's instructing her with this first step to wash herself and then instructs her to anoint herself with fragrant oils. This would have been a step to make oneself pleasant to be around. Aren't you thankful when people around you wear deodorant? I'm thankful for that. Um, Aren't you thankful for when they spray a little extra something on and you can smell that? Uh, Sometimes people get a little too much on and you smell them when you walk by them and you still smell them five minutes later. And you're like, wow, that guy's got a lot on him. I hear there's like beard oils now that smell really good. And people put that in and just, oh, you just, it's just fragrant oils. And it's, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, just one of you, Chad. Okay, um, so there's just a, some neat things there. Um, then verse number three, instructed to change her garments, her clothes, put off the garments of a mourning widow and put on the dress for marriage. Verse 3 and 4 instructed how to present herself to him. Um, now, what if she would have said, this, this is crazy, Naomi. This is, uh, this is so bogus. This is complicated. Definitely not the way it's done in Moab. I mean, you want me to go in the middle of the night. You want me to, to uncover his feet. I'm supposed to lie there. He's going to ask me what I want, and I'm going to tell him I'll do whatever you want. And, and, and this is the interaction. And we would look at this like, whoa, what is going on here? This is really weird. 
But this would have been the Jewish custom of the day. And this was something that was very important to follow through if this was going to take place. And so Ruth does not respond this way of saying that she's not going to do it because it's complicated or it's crazy. She's going to do this and she is not going to miss out on this opportunity. I was thinking back at uh, spring break, Natalie and I and the girls had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. I think I've told you a little bit about that trip before. And, um, and we were able to secure tickets for a, a tour of the White House. And so the thing with the tour of the White House was that there is some very specific things. So you get your email, and you have to send uh, your information to them. They put it on their file. And so if you don't respond to the email, you don't get your ticket. So you have to go through that step. Then they send you a list of what you can't bring to uh, with you. You basically, you know, ladies couldn't bring their purses. You couldn't bring anything on you. You just had to, you just had to come in, and maybe with your phone. Um, and so you had that. Then you had to be there at a specific time. And our time was 8 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, what? There's nothing good to do at 8 a.m. And so here we are in the cold. And it, it was a D.C. during spring break. For some reason, it was freezing in the morning. So we're standing in line with hundreds of other people. I didn't want to stand there, but I wanted to go to the White House. So I had to stand there. We went through one security checkpoint to a second security checkpoint to a third security checkpoint. And then finally into the building and into the White House. And you know when we, when we got into the White House, they actually told us that there were places that we could not go. And I was like, what? I'm a guest of yours in the White House. And then he said, nope, this is where you can go and this is what you can do. So what I learned about that was that if there was something that was really important for me to be able to experience and to accomplish, I had to go within the boundaries and the set of rules which were given to me. You think of Ruth in this situation. It's complicated. Like she is going to have to go through the Jewish customs of the day in order to accomplish what is so dear to her, and that is to be redeemed so that she would have a new husband, a new family, a new life. But she could not do it on her own. She had to stick within the boundaries, and that's where God was going to bless her. Now, the commitment by Ruth, uh, by Naomi, what do we learn by that? Well, we know what is next level commitment in our own life, don't we? Like, you know what next level commitment looks like. It, it means sometimes it's the kind that takes you out of your comfort zone. Next level commitment is the kind that stretches your faith. Next level commitment leads us to make bold moves that don't always make sense on paper, but we know that there's a God pushing us ahead. That's next level commitment. Next level commitment calls for sacrifice, for discipline, and for diligence. Next level commitment makes a difference in our life and then causes a difference to be made in the lives of others that we interact with. That's next level commitment. And then it's always pointing back to Jesus Christ. A gospel-centered life is never geared on ourselves. It's always pointing to someone, something greater, and that's Jesus. So even here in this Old Testament story, you said, we've said why it's important to study the Old Testament text. The audience of the writings were the Israelites, but we can come right alongside of them to read the writings, to apply them to our life, because it's all pointing to the cross. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And so here with next level commitments for us, it's it's always pointing to Jesus. 
Next level commitments come as we, as we trust in him and we allow him to lead us. We realize that he never fails us and, and we're going to strive to hopefully never fail him. This is what this next level commitment looks like. But the question for all of us is, as we talked about next level commitment, are we willing to go there? Are we willing to be there? Or do we look at next level commitment as saying, that's just complicated. Like, I'll just, I'll just kind of live my life in my rut and in my world, in my routine. And for boldness and for diligence and discipline and this commitment whole thing, like, it'll just kind of all fall into place. But that's not taking that next step. And see how Ruth responded with commitment in verse number five? She said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. That's a huge commitment. Verses six through nine, we see Ruth's part in this is her appeal. The lesson that we learn from, from Ruth is her appeal to the Redeemer. And the midnight, uh, the midnight proposal seems a bit complicated in our modern Western culture. Um, I want to kind of read something from a book that, um, that I've been studying through this whole series that kind of gives us a little insight of what's going on in this scene. Because where's Boaz? Well, Boaz is sleeping at the threshing floor. And we're like, why is he sleeping there? Or what is this? Or what's going on? Why does Ruth have to leave her home? Why is she coming to the threshing floor? So let me just read an excerpt. I was going to try to memorize this and quote it to you so I looked really smart. And then I thought, no, I'll just read it so they know where I'm getting the information from, okay? And by the way, this author has a footnote, so he got it from somebody else, and I, don't, I haven't taken time to see where it's from. So the threshing floor in the Old Testament times, they were constructed into the open fields. They were nothing more than a patch of ground, usually selected at a high spot on a ridge where they would catch the night breeze coming through. A large, flat, open area was raked off, swept clean to the ground, then sprinkled lightly with water. Rocks were piled around the perimeter, creating a round, smooth area. This would have been their threshing floor. So the sheaves of grain that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, remember, that's this whole process and so the sheaves of grain, they were brought in on the backs of workers, on donkeys, camels, oxen, or whatever the owner would use to carry them. They were then heaped into this circular threshing floor. Then two or three animals were harnessed shoulder to shoulder and simply driven around and around the floor as their hooves separated the husks from the kernels. Then the winners, they would take a shovel or a pitchfork and they would toss the sheaves into the air, allowing the breeze to carry the chaff or the empty husks away while the heavier grain would fall to the threshing floor. So the men and women and the children, they would work late into the night. It was always a time of celebration for them as they would participate as the harvest was brought in. Now, we have every reason to believe that this is really the first harvest that has taken place since their famine. So this would have been an exciting time. Now, also understand, that is, they're working late into the night. They're bringing the harvest from all places to the threshing floor to be dealt with so that they could get their grain separated from the chaff. And this was a very important time of celebration and reverence to God because God had brought them out of these seven years of famine. So now what's taking place is that we would see that uh, Boaz is sleeping there at the threshing floor. Why? Remember, during the time of Judges, as you would study the book of Judges, 
you would see that many times the Midianites would come in at night and attack and take their grain away. They would take their harvest away. So as a wealthy businessman as Boaz and one who was very protective of his fields and being a good steward and responsible for his product, he would be found there late at night, probably overseeing what was being done with the harvest, but then eventually calling it a night and falling fast asleep there at the threshing floor. That's where Naomi would send Ruth at midnight to find him in order to have this interaction. Now, we're obviously baffled by this process, but we understand that this is a symbolic custom that was nothing short of a pure request to be taken care of and given authority in life. Now, what do we learn by her request? Her request in this passage in verse 6, 7, and 8, uh, even into verse number 9, is that it was done as an act of humility. Understand Ruth is not one that's approaching this to say, hey, buddy, you're the next man in line, and so I'm all yours, you're all mine, we're going to have to make this work. No, she came as an act of humility with this appeal, with this request. She was never rightfully claiming what was hers. She was never boisterous. She was never hurtful. She was always approaching this as an act of humility. There was always a spirit of humbleness in her heart. It was also done out of a desire for holiness or spirituality. You see, as this process was taking place, even in verse number 10, we would find Boaz's response. He says, blessed be thou of the Lord. He knew that she was of the Lord. He said, for thou hast shown me more kindness or virtue in the latter end than you did even in the beginning when I met you. Wouldn't that be an incredible testimony for people to say to us is that knowing us the longer, the longer they know us, we show more kindness and love to them instead of becoming so comfortable in that relationship that all we bring is heartache and conflict and problems into their life. Ruth was a beautiful example of one who was not only humbled, but striving for holiness and spirituality. And by the way, in these type of relationships, it's for the teenagers and college students and singles in here that are praying and pursuing what is next for you in way of relationship. Make sure that you understand that the individual guy or girl that is really uh, heavy on your heart is that somebody, do they talk to God often? Do they not only talk to God or do they talk about God? Uh, do they want to please God? Do they live for God? Do they encourage you to follow God? And by the way, if, if any of these are not included in the description of your guy or your girl, then I would dare say that they're probably not supposed to be with you and you're not supposed to be with them. And uh, have you ever seen them reading a Bible um, do they love the church? Not Parkway. Like, they don't have to wear a shirt. I love Parkway. Like, do they love God's bride? Um, do they, are they involved in service for Christ? Are they looking to serve God beyond the walls and, and in the walls and just serving God at, at any time with their life? Do they want others to hear the gospel? Do they want other people to hear of God's grace? Do they want grace to flow out of them? And so here, this was a picture of Ruth as she wanted this appeal, and it was done out of a desire for holiness and for spirituality. And then also in verse 11, it was done out of a demonstration of priority. In verse 11, it says in the last part, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. 
for all of the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The priority here was that Boaz would be the one and that it would be done the right way in the right timing. There was a priority that was all centered on God's sovereign will and God's leading. And then the last thought was that it was done with a passion for purity. Because in verse 11, he recognizes the very fact that she is a virtuous woman. Now, don't let anybody tell you that this story has any sexual connotation to it. For the custom of the day would have been that she would have come after he had fallen asleep and, and uh, that she would have um, found him uh, at, a, at a right place, would have uncovered his feet and laid there at the end so that the cold breeze would strike him and, and cause him to wake up. And then when he would wake up, he would ask what they were doing, and then they were to respond, I'm here to do whatever you ask. Now, Boaz knew she was a virtuous woman, and everybody in town knew that she was a virtuous woman. Boaz was not going to use this to take advantage of Ruth, even in the middle of the night, in the quietness of the high level of land called the threshing floor. Boaz was a well-respected, godly man who would protect her and her purity even at this moment. Now, notice how Ruth is instructed by Naomi. It's very important that she wait until after he has eaten, right? So it's the same thing happens today. Like, don't show your husband the dent in the car until you've given him his favorite meal at the table. <laughs> Kids, you don't show your report cards until you've brought dad his favorite bowl of ice cream. Um, a lot of things, ladies, you don't ask him to paint the living room for the third time in three months until you've given him something that he loves. And so uh, here, this would have been an important instruction to wait until he is eaten and he is merry and then he has fallen asleep. And so Boaz's response in verses 10 through 12 is that he commends her godliness, he praises her virtue and applauds her discernment. Here's a man who has recognized what stands in front of him is someone very unique and special. This is somebody that has been chosen by God for Boaz. Now, Boaz was no young pup. Boaz would have been someone who may, for one reason or another, wherever he was in life, may not have been looking at this moment. But God has brought Ruth to his field in his sovereign act. And so as Boaz commends her for who she is, I'll say it again, he commends her for her godliness, praises her virtue, and applauds her discernment. And Boaz's desire is to redeem Ruth because there is true love and commitment here, and he is willing to do what it takes to accomplish this. So will Boaz have cold feet? We're going to find out as we continue to study this. Because it is complicated, but we're going to find that Boaz wants everything in him to be with Ruth and Ruth to be with him. He will make that clear. Naomi has pushed this forward with her commitment. Ruth has made this proposal happen by her appeal. Boaz has responded by saying, this is what I truly want too. So the relationship, think about it. The relationship is complicated. One had grown up in idolatry and pagan religion. The other had grown up as a follower of God. One was rich. The other was poor. One was a business owner. The other a migrant worker. One was single. The other had been married. One had experienced the death of a spouse, and the other had not. 
One was a mature believer. The other was a new believer. One was financially independent. The other lived paycheck to paycheck. And the list, really, of these two could go on and on. But they have this in common. You see, a commitment to God and a genuine character that wants to follow his leadership in their lives. And so just remember, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Because when God's in it, it always works out. But where's our submission to his leading in our life? Next level commitment. Get past the complication. Quit responding. Oh, it's complicated. And let's work at it together to serve the Lord and to let him use us in his way.